Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. This is Make It Plain. M.I.P. With Masamela Mafumo. Mark Thompson. Make It Plain. Get woke. Folks, we talk about important civil rights legislation all the time, meaning us as in universal. And we tend to emphasize the 1964 Civil Rights Act of course, of late, the 1965 Voting Rights Act. But one piece of legislation that is not mentioned as often and probably a bit overshadowed is the 1968 Fair Housing Act, which was uh, considered to be the final piece of legislation upon which Dr. King had a direct fluence on before he was taken from us. And so whenever we can get an opportunity to see what the state of the Fair Housing Act and its enforcement is, we should take that opportunity. And it will probably come to no surprise, come of no surprise to you um, that there are still some problems, just like the VRA, the Fair Housing Act has issues and we must confront them. My guest today is from one of our favorite organizations and one of our legacy civil rights organizations at that he is a counsel in the fair housing and community development project at the lawyers committee for civil rights under law his work focuses on impact litigation under the fair housing act efforts to increase compliance with the duty to affirmatively further fair housing through policy advocacy, administrative enforcement, and technical assistance, and the provision of legal support to grassroots housing justice organizers. He earned his Juris Doctorate from the University of Virginia Law School in 2013. He has written extensively on the intersection of civil rights law and land use law. 
He is licensed to practice law in the state of New York and in the District of Columbia. So here today representing the Lawyers Committee for Civil Rights under law is counsel attorney Thomas Silverstein. Thomas, how are you, buddy? I'm doing well. How are you? Thanks for having me on. It's a pleasure to have you. How are you and yours faring in the pandemic? Everybody healthy and safe? Everyone healthy and safe, just trying to keep it together like everyone else. <laughs> indeed, indeed. And obviously you're working. Yes. You're filing suits, man. So yeah. talk to us about this latest. We're talking about Hartford. The <laughs> Lawyers Committee has filed suit against Ben Carson and Hood, correct? Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah, so we filed suit uh, along with uh, several partners, uh, including the Connecticut Open Communities Alliance and law firm Covington and Burling in the clinical program at Yale Law School against not just uh, HUD and Secretary Carson, but also the Hartford Housing Authority, the city of Hartford, and uh, a few other um, smaller organizations or agencies. Uh, and what we're really challenging here is a, uh, a set of uh, policy decisions that set up uh, low-income Black and Latinx families to fail as they try to move away from an uninhabitable um, HUD-subsidized building or three uninhabitable HUD-subsidized buildings that the government had allowed to fall into disrepair over the course of decades. And so these individuals were moved, but they weren't moved properly or appropriately that's uh, according to the provisions of the fair housing act correct that that's correct so um conditions in their buildings have become so unlivable that um the the residents came together and organized to, to push hud to cancel their slumlords subsidy contracts and give them vouchers to allow them to move but then what hud did was hud selected contractors including uh the hartford housing authority that didn't know how to give people a range of options for where to move that would include suburban areas outside of Hartford, um, and also gave people way too little time to find new housing. So I'll, instead of residents having a real choice about where to move and some being able to decide that they wanted to stay in the, in the neighborhood in the north end of Hartford, and, and that was you know, where their sort of connection to family and you know, religious congregations and their roots are, but others might want to move to a different, you know, suburban community that had a different school district or is closer to their job at like a, you know, a hospital or a shopping mall. Um, that choice is taken away, essentially, because um, with the parameters that HUD put in place and these local actors sort of reinforced, there weren't choices outside of the city of Hartford in a, in a meaningful way for residents as they tried to relocate. How many how many families are we, we talking about? Um, so we're talking about uh, th three different developments, uh, all located within about a two-mile radius of each other in in the north end of Hartford. Um, and the the number of families overall is not at the tip of my tongue, but it, it's a, a few a few hundred overall. Right, but that's fine. I just want to get a sense. We're talking about buildings. Yes, we're talking about buildings. We're not talking about just a handful of people. Yes. So the. Let me get this straight. HUD contracted with someone yes. that did not inform the families of what their real options were. Correct. That's correct. HUD HUD chose um, you know local local agencies that didn't tell families about options to move outside of the city of Hartford. Didn't tell families 
how much their voucher would pay for outside of the city of Hartford, and also didn't give families enough time to meaningfully look for options outside of the city of Hartford. So, you know, if you're trying to move, um, you know, there's so many barriers that, you know, a low-income Black or Latinx family in Hartford faces in trying to move anywhere other than the neighborhoods that people have historically been segregated into through government action. And if you want to try to break down those barriers and increase the range of choices for where people can move, it takes more time. And they were simply denied that that additional time. Yeah. So um, the there's the issue of mobility counseling, correct? Yes. Yes. So in, in in the Fair Housing Act and in and in the legislation that is provided for, that's a guarantee. So the, the Fair Housing Act doesn't speak directly to mobility counseling. What the Fair Housing Act says is that HUD, as well as any other federal agency that administers housing programs, so that could be the VA or the Department of Agriculture in, in rural areas, has a duty to affirmatively further fair housing, which is a term you use when you were sort of intro, introducing my background. And that means that for HUD, it's not just enough to not discriminate. You know, HUD, has, HUD is held to a higher standard. And what HUD has to do is actually take affirmative, proactive steps to dismantle the state-sanctioned segregation that HUD's predecessor agencies helped create before the Fair Housing Act was enacted. And one of, we believe that one of those key proactive steps that HUD really needs to be taking in this type of situation is providing mobility counseling. Mm-hmm. Um, and there was there was also the issue of you mentioned the deadlines; mm-hmm. those were not realistic mm-hmm. for people to be able to relocate. Correct. That that's correct because you know it just it's simply it takes longer if you're trying to use a voucher to move to a white suburb, and you know all of the discrimination that folks are going to face. Um, and all of the barriers that folks are going to face and the challenges in transportation in getting out there to tour different properties, it's going to take longer to have a, a search for a new home that includes those areas than one where you're looking in a, in a sort of narrower ra- radius right around where you currently live. So h- how much time were these families given, Thomas? In general, they were given 120 days, which is really, really challenging to do this kind of search in that amount of time. That's made even more difficult and more complicated by the fact that so ma- that all these all the folks from these buildings are moving at the same time. So you know, usually when people are issued vouchers to move it with someone coming off of the Section Eight waiting list and getting a voucher for the first time, it's not a whole bunch of people getting a voucher and trying to move at the same time. It's it's sort of a, a sort of gradual turnover of people who have this type of assistance. But if you're trying to relocate hundreds of families at the same time, or even dozens of families at the same time in an area where there may not be a huge number of vacancies, um, that actually makes it take longer as well. So it was, it was about 120 days um, as an initial matter. And then um, there were instances where where the, the deadline was extended, but it's a there's a real difference between having a realistic deadline to begin with and having an unrealistic deadline that's then extended because you can't plan around extensions. You can't, and and it makes it put it sort of drives folks into panic mode. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and so this 120 days, Thomas, when did it occur? Is is this something? Is this a recent 120 days? 
So um, as I mentioned earlier, there were three specific developments in, or in Hartford uh, that had these conditions and where the residents were given vouchers. And um, the relocation processes happened in a somewhat staggered way. So everyone from each building was being relocated at the same time. But the first building, the relocation process was happening around two years ago. Okay. Um, and then for the subsequent two buildings, it was, it was mostly in 2019. Um, so generally speaking, you know, sort of 2018 and 2019 is, is when most of the, the relocation activity was occurring. And so where have these families ended up today? So a, a hugely disproportionate portion of the families have, have ended up back in the city of Hartford, oftentimes back in the north end of the city of Hartford, um, which is, uh, you know, the most heavily black and Latinx part of the city. Um, and, you know, struggling with real, uh, the real legacy of decades of disinvestment, um, to the extent that folks were able to move outside of the city, um, oftentimes they were able, the places they were able to move to weren't the sort of kind of exclusionary white suburbs that for decades had erected these sort of barriers to people moving in. It instead, it was, um, you know, some of the relatively few more diverse working class suburbs, places like East Hartford, Connecticut, uh, New Britain, Manchester. Um, meanwhile, you've got places like um, Simsbury and Glastonbury and Avon and all these sort of, uh, you know, overwhelmingly white suburbs that kind of have been engaged in what we sometimes call um, opportunity hoarding over the decades, which is where, you know, you've got these metropolitan areas, got these regions that are carved up into so many different municipalities. And the places, and there are places, often predominantly white, affluent areas um, that have a lot of property tax base, and they, you know, they keep their resources, their, you know, their their high-performing public schools, their parks, um, to themselves. They hoard those resources in order to not more equitably share access to opportunity for for everyone who lives in a given region, like Greater Hartford. Yeah. So they moved from segregated Hartford to outside of Hartford and were still pretty much segregated, correct? Yeah. So, mo so most would have just been moving within Hartford and the and right. narrow exceptions to the rule where folks are moving outside of Hartford were mostly moving to um, areas that were maybe not quite as segregated as Hartford, but are not, not the areas that HUD should be taking really concerted action to make available. Yeah. Um, the term you use, I want to get it right. Uh, uh, did you say opportunity hoarding? Is that opportunity hoarding? Right. So, yes. does HUD, vis-a-vis -vis the Fair Housing Act, have the authority and ability to relocate people and give them vouchers mm -hmm. into some of these opportunity hoarded areas? They can do that, right? Absolutely. So, you know, of course, at the end of the day, the choice as to where an individual family lives is always, always needs to reside with the individual. But how can break down the barriers that make it harder, much harder, and sometimes practically impossible to move to some of these opportunity hoarding areas. So HUD can, um, you know, when you get a voucher, you know, historically, the way it would work is say you got a voucher for a two bedroom unit and the HUD and the housing authority you know, if you're in New York City, NYCHA would say your two bedroom voucher is worth such and such amount. But HUD, can, HUD has authority to, to make changes to make that amount more realistic. So one thing that's historically been a problem 
is that the amount that the voucher would pay for wouldn't be enough in, say, Glastonbury, Connecticut. Mm-hmm. Um, and and HUD, has, had, HUD has authority to, to influence that. HUD has authority to change that. Um, HUD has the authority to pick a contractor to carry out its relocation that, um, that has a proven track record of administering vouchers across cities and towns within a metro area. And they didn't do that. There actually is a Connecticut state agency, the Connecticut Department of Housing, has a voucher program that operates across this whole metro area. HUD specifically chose not to use them for this and to use the Hartford Housing Authorities program, which only focuses on the city of Hartford instead. Um, you know, similarly, uh, you've got all, you know, all of the sort of um, the barriers that people face that mobility counseling can help break down, whether it's, uh, you know, credit checks or criminal background screening or just, uh, or, you know, excessive security deposit requirements and all of this stuff. Mobility counseling can help break those down those barriers. Mobility counseling can help, uh, you know, inform people about opportunities they may not have been aware existed. And HUD can can meaningfully provide for that. And they didn't. HUD, in this case, chose a, a contractor to to help uh, advise families on the relocation process called uh, Loomis, which is one of the, um, you know, the sort of antagonists in this in this lawsuit. And that they chose someone who had no experience providing mobility counseling, uh, whereas, uh, you know, there are plenty of folks around the country who know how to do it because it's been done. There's a proven track record. Hey, peeps, it's your girl, Danielle Moody, host of Woke AF Daily. Every weekday, I'm sounding the alarm and keeping you woke to all the pure evil that is going on in our country. Check me out now at patreon.com slash woke AF. Get five new shows every week for just $5 a month. Get woke and stay woke as fuck. So in this particular case in Hartford, Thomas, mm-hmm. um, is this unique or has HUD under Ben Carson been doing this elsewhere mm-hmm. around the country? In other words, is this just an isolated situation in Hartford? Mm-hmm. So um, this is not an isolated situation. In some ways, what's happening in Hartford is it's a cautionary tale because the, f- the first piece of the answer to that question is there are a lot of HUD subsidized uh, properties around the country, whether it's public housing that's administered by a public housing authority like NYCHA, or whether it's with what's at issue in this case, which is called project based section eight, where HUD administers it directly rather than a local public housing authority. There's so many issues with horrific conditions in subsidized housing in the country and so many places that are already uninhabitable for residents or will be very soon if there's not real serious investment in rehabilitating properties. So we know that there are going to be places where HUD is going to have to help people move with vouchers in an emergency situation because their properties become totally unlivable. And that's something that spans every region of this country. There are a few examples from recent years of of housing authorities and HUD engaging where you've got these sort of really dire conditions and, and how how does the sort of relocation process for tenants work, particularly out of uh, the Midwest, out of Illinois and Indiana. Um, and, and HUD has been uh, inconsistent 
in, in how it's dealt with those relocation processes. There was a situation late in the Obama administration where um, HUD actually did provide for mobility counseling for people who were moving from you know, really, really uninhabitable public housing development in Illinois, in downstate Illinois. But you know, under Secretary Carson, uh, it appears that HUD has forgotten that that's possible. So I think you know, there, aren't, there haven't been a huge number of examples of this sort of relocation type process within HUD uh, making all of these wrong calls in terms of how it goes. But if, if HUD isn't prepared to do better the next time, it's something that we'll absolutely see again, because we know that many of the, the properties that HUD subsidizes are, are really in, in, in rough shape because of the disinvestment over decades. We can see the situation worsening mm-hmm. under the circumstances. So that's an important piece of information. Yeah. The Obama administration um, implemented mobility counseling. Ben Carson, under his hood, as you said, to use your word, seems to have forgotten it. Yeah. Um, the suit that has been filed, tell us about the process um, and the timetable when we might get a hearing or see some relief. Sure. So, um, you know, you, when you file a, a lawsuit uh, against the federal government, uh, they have they have 60 days to respond. They, uh, the federal government gets a little bit of extra time. So since we filed this yesterday, uh, we would be expecting uh, the federal government to respond. Um, actually, I guess it would be right before inauguration time. And then, um, you know, from there, it it really becomes a question of do they try to get our lawsuit dismissed? If they don't, we would move on to uh, to, you know, discovery and, and you know getting documents and taking depositions and all of that. You know, and then if you go all the way through to trial, it can be a long haul and it can be a, it's a, it's a tough fight. And I think we know that. Uh, justice delayed is often justice denied. So, you know, I think, I, I hope um, that you know there. Th- this is a really, I know this is a really strong lawsuit. I believe very strongly in the claims here, and and I hope that now that folks can see this powerful lawsuit on the record, that there may be some consideration of of rethinking uh, what's happened and trying to address the wrong that's been done. To uh, to the residents uh, of these of these properties who have really, I mean, this above all, this this is about them, and you know their needs and their futures and their families. And I think I would love to see uh, a sort of coming together at some point to try to figure out a solution. Um, but you know, if we go all the way, if this goes, you know, to trial and litigation, that is that is a long road to hope. Yeah, yeah, but but worthwhile. In the meantime. Absolutely. Would would the lawyers' committees be that a new administration would do better when it comes to the enforcement of the Fair Housing Act? And and for that matter, is the lawyers' committee speaking with the incoming administration that doesn't isn't being allowed to transition office? Mm-hmm. Uh, have you all been in communication? Because again, you know, we talk about the VRA. Everybody said we got to get a new VRA. Right. Mm-hmm. We got is there any uh, um, agenda as mm-hmm. far as the Lawyers Committee is concerned mm-hmm. to um, strengthen or undergird at least the enforcement mm-hmm. of the Fair yeah. Housing Act? A- absolutely. So it's very clear that HUD has a new HUD has to do a few key things. So 
Two are kind of closely related to each other. Under the, the leadership or lack thereof of Secretary Carson, HUD has um, dismantled and rolled back two really important regulations that the Obama administration put into place related to the Fair Housing Act. One is called about an issue called disparate impact. So disparate impact is where you can prove a violation of a civil rights law, in this case, the Fair Housing Act, without proving discriminatory intent. Instead, you show that the policy that you're challenging disproportionately harms uh, a protected group, such as you know, black families in this case, um, could be people with disabilities, it could be you know, families with kids, Fair Housing Act you know, covers a lot of different protected characteristics, and that there's no um, you know, justification or good reason for that policy. So Secretary Carson has, has put out a new regulation just back in September that if in terms of HUD's own administrative activities, and then also this could, in a worst case scenario, percolate into the courts if the courts agreed with HUD's view, it would make it basically impossible for a plaintiff to succeed in any disparate impact claim. So when you're talking about how to dismantle structural racism in housing, this is really a, a very serious body blow to those efforts. And um, undoing that regulation needs to be a really high priority for incoming administration. Uh, the second one is affirmatively furthering fair housing. Uh, back in 2015, the Obama administration issued a regulation on affirmatively furthering fair housing, which was really an attempt for the first time, a really serious attempt to get states, local governments, and public housing authorities to develop meaningful plans for how they were going to um, you know, proactively attack discrimination and dismantle the legacy of state-sanctioned segregation. And um, that also has been repealed as of August of this year. So that's got to be a top priority for an incoming administration. The last thing I'll say, which is a little more, maybe a little more mundane and less glamorous is, you know, these four years or, you know, three years and, and 10 months have been devastating for the morale of staff at federal agencies, including HUD, but not just HUD. There's been a lot of, you know, institutional knowledge and skill and expertise that's been lost because people just had to get out because it is, you know, just a you know terrible place to work. You've been, you know, disempowered from doing your job, enforcing civil rights. So there's going to be a critical need for a new administration to just invest in people and training and hiring and, and really getting it so you don't just have the right rules in place, but you actually have the, the human capacity to enforce them. Yeah. No, those are all good points. Um, you mentioned Ben Carson. Uh, mm -hmm. Once I had Jonathan Allen, who's a reporter for NBC on my show. Mm -hmm. And in either intentionally or in a Freudian slip, mm -hmm. referred to Ben Carson as secretary of cabins. You may get that later. <laughs> Uncle Tom's cabin, um, because we've seen his own contradictions. Mm -hmm. But back to the suit, though, mm -hmm. so I'm thinking of now is mm -hmm. they mm -hmm. themselves mm -hmm. packed the court. Mm -hmm. you know, ask Biden Harris, are you going to pack the court? Wrong mm -hmm. question. Are you going to expand the court? They've packed it. So mm -hmm. As an attorney in this business, mm -hmm. do you start looking at and maybe handicapping where where is this going to take place? Mm -hmm. What court will this be in? And mm -hmm. will we draw the straw 
mm-hmm. of one of these unqualified, never having mm-hmm. served or, or tried a case judges mm-hmm. at the Trump Carson, so mm-hmm. to speak, administration has, has propped up. Is that a concern? You know, I, I'll take taking a step back from this case in general, thinking nationwide, absolutely 100%. I think as civil rights lawyers, we have to think strategically about what we try to accomplish through litigation and, and where we file, because um, there have been real setbacks in terms of the courts, um, you know, in these recent years. Um, you know, I, w- I would say that in the context of um, of this case in Connecticut, that the uh, the the federal district court in Connecticut still has a, a, a set of you know really good, really qualified um, judges, and and the damage has not been as great there. Um, but you know, outside of the context of this case, I think those are things we have to think really critically about. And the changes in the composition of the courts overall, also, you know, it's not just a question of whether to file; it's a question of it can be a question of you know if you face a setback in a bad decision, do you appeal? You have to look at, you know, who's on the appellate court. Um, and then certainly, you know, that's like much less the Supreme Court. You get a bad appellate court decision. Um, you know, this is this is not a promising su- Supreme Court for so many issues. Now, sometimes there are issues where, you know, existing law, cases that have already been decided, um, you know, are are so you know helpful and clearly on your side that the case that you're pushing this time, you know, the fight that you're waging this time, you can make the the calculation. It's probably not the one where you're going to see the conservative courts, you know, kind of picking as an example to roll back civil rights. In other words, there are some some issues that are more vulnerable to being dealt with the wrong way by uh, by a by a you know a hostile judge than others. If that makes sense. Yeah. No, no, I, I, I hear you on that. But again, just to be clear. So. These I mean, it sounds to me like if, if, if these families were treated in this way, mm-hmm. some of them are, are have been relocated. They're living where they're living. Mm-hmm. What's that like for them? I mean, I'm living in a place mm-hmm. that may not be the most desirable. And now not only that, I'm aware living mm-hmm. Here, mm-hmm. that I should have been afforded a better option for mm-hmm. myself. How How is that living comfortably mm-hmm. and harmoniously and the pursuit of happiness? Mm-hmm. People are tough and people are resilient. They'll try to make it work the best they can. But, you know, absolutely. You know, there are folks who they've expressed, you know, their their dreams and their desires for for a different type of environment to, to live in, to raise their kids in, you know, whether it's a neighborhood where they feel more safe walking, you know, down to the corner store at night, whether it's, you know, what, you know, having a, a school, an elementary school in their neighborhood where they know that their, their kid is going to get a good, good education. And, and frankly, like more basic things where like the heat's going to work in the winter and, and, you know, there won't be lead in the water, um, you know, there is absolutely an awareness of of how um, people's dreams, their aspirations, and the and the things that they they really have a legal right. I think it is argue a legal right to be able to grab hold of um, has been denied to them. And you know, at this point, 
you know, that initial move out of out of these three developments, you know, it can't be undone. They're already they are where they are. But there are absolutely things that HUD and all of these local agencies could do to give folks the opportunity to 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 try again and to try again in the right circumstances where they actually, you know, have a real choice, where they have the support they need, the time they need, the information they need to be able to move where they want. Yeah. And thank God they have the lawyers committee to help them and your work as counsel. Folks, um, you can read more about this. It's it this it's you can Google the story because it's heavily it's a lot of coverage in the news about this suit and what happened to these residents at, in Hartford, Connecticut. You can also go to lawyerscommittee.org uh, to find out more as well. And so we'll watch this um, and hopefully as well um, with a new administration coming in. Uh, at this hour, we have reason to believe that that is still going to happen. Uh, <laughs> the uh, We can encourage and and lobby and pressure the new administration to be sure that HUD lives up to what the Fair Housing Act is there to enforce. Um, and that is very, very important. Thomas Silverstein, the Lawyers Committee of Civil Rights Under Law, has been our guest today. Thomas, thank you, buddy. Keep us posted on this case, okay? Absolutely. Thank you so much for, uh, for having me on. And for that matter, you know, um, please um, stay in touch as an, as an ongoing resource to inform the public about where this is happening elsewhere and in other parts of the country, as well as as the effort and the movement um, to bolster the enforcement of the Fair Housing Act. Like I said, it, it gets a little overshadowed mm-hmm. in, in, in terms of the other legacy civil rights acts. So please uh, feel free to play that role for us, okay? Absolutely. All right, thank you, buddy. Take care. Thanks for getting woke and listening to Make It Plain. Please remember to listen, like, subscribe, and wherever you get your podcasts, please give the show a five-star rating. And please do spread the word. Let's all continue to pray for each other during this pandemic and this police-demic. If all hearts and minds are clear, it has been made plain. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Bet MGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. Save big money now on new siding from LP Smart Side at Menards. Update and beautify your home with your choice of 13 timeless colors of pre-finished engineered siding. 
It's durable and includes a Sherwin-Williams factory finish paint warranty that means no painting for years to come. View our entire selection of siding from LP Smart Side today. And don't forget to check out our flyer on Menards.com for all the great deals happening now. Save